And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 655. We're talking underdog fantasy, season-long best ball. There are in-season tournaments and everything that probably won't talk about a ton on this show, but we'll get you ready for the 2024 season and much, much more. And uh, in order to help me do this are two very, very intelligent underdog fantasy people. Um, they stream a lot. They do a bunch of cool graphs. They work together. It's quite a smorgasbord of knowledge that's about to come to your guys' earbuds or eyes if you're on YouTube. So let's get to them. First off, in the top right corner for me, left corner maybe for you, on the screen, you can find them on Twitter at DarkSheep3. That's D4RKSH33P underscore. Matt, how are we doing, man? Excellent. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, joining me and your compadre who uh, does a lot of the shows with you and uh, and whatnot over on the Stacking Dingers podcast. You can find him over on Twitter at Baseball, B3ISBOL. Uh, Chris, how are we doing, man? I'm great, Baba. That was a 10 out of 10 pronunciation because usually from Matt and from Brendan, um, I usually get B3 Isball to Whoa. start our shows. So I do it because Brendan started it. With a little you know, gusto is, is a step up for me. Uh, yeah, I know plenty of Spanglish. I've worked in farming most of my life, so I could uh, I know when to uh, throw that extra <laughs> extra emphasis, as they say, on certain parts of words to uh, have some fun with things. But uh, before we get started, I'll give each of you a second here. Matt, why don't you let everybody know like what you guys got going on and um, where they can find your work and whatnot? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I do weekly draft streams over at the Sheep Seats on YouTube, um, and then. Yeah, we started this year uh, stackingdingers.com, uh, you know, playing off the uh, dinger name of the contest and, uh, you know, talking about stacking, which I'm sure we'll do and all that. Uh, so, yeah, and we started, uh, we kind of started that with the idea that we we're going to do more writing, uh, but it, what it kind of morphed into so far this year is uh, more of a, a po video podcast type of thing. Um, so we're doing that weekly. Uh, Chris is on there often. Um and just to be clear, all the graphs and everything are totally Chris. Uh, part of part of why I wanted to like start stacking dingers was to put my name somewhere near his graphs, so I get some of that recognition. Hey, that's a smart move. I've been great with that. I was on uh, I had Bub and the Bat Flip forever. Toby, genius mind. Now I have Bub and the Bloom. Ryan's a pretty smart dude with all his stuff. So you know, it's all about who you know sometimes and what you know. So I, I'm with you there, Matt. Chris, uh, where can they find all your stuff? I know you, you tweet out a ton of it. Your sheets are just legendary. Um, like They're so good that even I can figure them out. So that says a lot. So thank you. Uh, the highest compliment. Um, I wanted to get into this stuff with Matt and Brendan to latch myself onto Brendan's stuff because Brendan puts out a lot of great content too. So it's like one, you know, big snake eating its tail. Um, but we were having all these like great talks kind of offline. Um, and we figured out that why don't we just do this um, in front of people and have, you know, our online friends ask us questions and talk about all sorts of things that we would have been talking together anyway. So it's been a ton of fun. Um, like you said, the, the Twitter profile is probably the best place where I tweet out most of the most of the graphs um, and the threads and the sheets and whatnot, but um, I have I have promised many many people to eventually write an article um, summarizing this stuff in a nice tidy little package. So uh, before the South Korea games, I can assure the, <laughs> the listeners and the watchers of tonight's show and all of our stacking dinger stuff, you're gonna have an article from me by then. 
That's outstanding. And first, I'm like, I'm glad you mentioned Tuma. Tuma's been on the show a few times. Great individual, great mind as well. Like, so you guys do work very, very well together in, in that regard. And um, the article thing, like Matt, you said, you guys, the idea was to write more. And then Chris is talking about writing. Hey, for me, I love podcast and video. Hey, it's a lot easier just to kind of go with. And I know, Chris, you got your, your, your charts and everything. Writing sounds fun. It's just, it's more work than people understand that goes into it's the so process. Hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's like getting the zone. You got to get motivated. Like once you get going, it kind of flows, but there's a, it's not just, you know, just open up the lab, pop and roll thing that people that kind of might think it is. So looking forward to it though. In uh just before Korea, that'll be great. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, most of these drafts will be filled and it'll be perfect timing for all, all of this to take place. Um, before we get into more strategy talk, let's just get to the basics. And I'll go to you on this one, Matt. Uh, can you just like recap it to everybody what the main format is like you know how many rounds you have um the kind of uh, how many people like positions you need to start with so on and so forth yeah so the underdog season long format um is a 20 round draft um but it's best ball so each week you're not selecting your players for the different positions it's filling in the highest scoring guy at uh the three positions in this is broken into pitcher infielder and outfielder um a little bit of confusion there if you look at the player pool uh they do put uh dh and like some first base dh type players into the outfield pool um just to increase the outfield size of the amount of players um and then basically you score uh in two week periods uh throughout the regular season and that builds up to a playoff or playoff rounds in which those are two week two sep one week periods that uh you you advance from i guess in the first round you advance out of the people you draft with into a randomly selected uh next grouping and so on until you're into that final round and everybody's playing for pretty much all the money Yep, it's it's a really cool format to basically survive in advance, and there's some more even crazier survive in advances that we'll talk about uh, later on. That have to me, uh, we'll get to that in a minute. I'll, I'll, let's not get off the rails already. But um, let's talk about it. Like Matt mentioned, there's the different positions and all this stuff. So Chris, I'll go to you on this. We'll start um, a proper like thought process. Our popular thought process is you need to go outfield heavy because like matt mentioned there's a lot of dhs or first basemen that play dh and stuff that they kind of put in the outfield to help us because the outfield pool dries up rather quickly it feels like at least talent wise where there's always glutton of infielders and then pitching is a whole other conversation but chris what do you notice you know like on the trends i guess of uh going outfield heavy does it is it worth it is it maybe like a you know we're just imagining things or what are you seeing with that so outfield the first thing you see when you get in your first underdog draft is that the first 10 picks usually off the board are all outfielders and it's all like the usual names um but it just so happens that they all line up very well for this format and they all go like boom 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 boom. like the first 10 picks almost always go kind of in this standard these 10 guys go sometimes you get an infielder mixed in but like very very often you're getting one of those guys kind of as the anchor of your team. Um, and like you said, Bubba, it's just the problem with outfield is that it, it dries up so quick. Um, you'll get to like round four, round five, round six, round seven, round eight, and you're starting to look around like, Oh, whoa, okay. This is getting, getting dicey here. Um, there's a, there's a bunch of pitchers in that range. And the one consistent thing we've always found, like we've, we've done this contest for a couple of years now. Um, and I've looked at the data from each of the past three years um two years 
And the one constant has been that there's always another infielder. Like infield, there's just so many guys that get to play based on the way that you know MLB teams are structured and just the the simplicity of making it pitcher, infield, outfield means that it's a numbers game and there's just more infielders. And there's more production that's going to come from those guys. So outfield is scarce. Pitcher is fragile. And I think infield is deep are kind of the three ways that I like to think about it when I'm hopping in my drafts. Totally, totally agree with you there. Hey, Matt, when you're looking at, so we're talking, we all agree the outfield position is tough. And with it being a points-based system, even guys like Schwarber now become really, really good outfielders. We're like in a, a five-by-five roto where most of my listeners might come from. His batting average is so bad, that's what pushes him down to like the 90th to 100th ADP in a draft. Where in underdog, like you wouldn't be shocked if he's drafted at the one-two turn in some drafts or something. Like that's just the reality of the situation. And for listeners, if you go to underdog fantasy, there's a rough like ADP rankings you can just look at on the website. Plus there's sheets and stuff that Chris will dive into later on to help with these things. Uh, with projections but matt when you're leaving a draft how many outfielders are you trying like outfielders you trying to live leave with um since you have to start three maybe one's a util so on and so forth what's your plans there yeah so i i guess i did not really make that clear in my earlier explanation you do have each week you get the the three outfielders three infielders and three pitchers that score from you so pretty much uh the name of the game is trying to figure out uh, you know how you're going to balance all of your picks through the 20 rounds for how you want to be scoring at those positions. Um, because then, like you said, there is that flex position. Um, so to answer, get back to your question. Uh, I'm usually like six outfielders for the most part, um, because while, while it is scarce, it also does, or part of the scarcity is that the guys at the end that you're picking are a less, lot less likely to contribute to your lineup. Uh, especially with the flex position. Uh, Chris pulled some stats from last year, uh, and there was only one week through the the whole regular season in which there was more outfielders that filled that flex position than infielders. So that's something I've changed uh, coming from last year into this year, whereas last year I was doing more like seven outfielder builds Um this year, I'm kind of limiting myself to six most of the time, just because uh, I'm trying to fill that flex position with uh, infielder at the end, potentially a few weeks out of the year. And that's that's good to know, because that's kind of one thing even I've done a lot of drafts between last year and even this year, I'm doing a lot more. Chris, I told Matt off the air, I forgot to tell you, I'm starting to respect your slow draft world. <laughs> um, I have like five or six going at a time now. It's actually kind of nice and relaxing. And you can kind of like look at the player pool longer and kind of build your team a little differently. Kind of liking it now. I'm starting to, all, all like this tongue in cheek I gave you earlier on your guys' show. Uh, I'm starting to appreciate that. But to you, Chris, in that regard, um, we're talking about taking all these outfielders early. But now, like Matt said, you, you've done some work, Chris, where Maybe you know the infielders fill in the util spot later because maybe just because there is so many utils in theory. And as the outfield pool dries down, you still have to fill it, but the quality of the outfielder is different. That leads to my question. When we're taking all these outfielders early, we're passing up on some upper echelon infielders at the same time. Like Freddie Freeman, tons of points like in this system. J Ram puts up a bunch. Bobby Witt, like these elite, elite guys. But we're maybe not all people, but a lot of people are passing on them to get outfielders. Have we seen a world where maybe the juice isn't worth the squeeze just because the position is shorter in the outfield? So I think um, one of the one of the fun perks of the format and one of the fun perks of the 
the contest, the dinger specifically, we're going to talk just the big tournament first is that it's a, it's a very affordable, you know, $10 price point and you can throw in up to 150 teams. Um, and like you said, Bubba, those individual infielders have mega upside. Like they could be the guy you need, um, season long or just week in, week out, or more importantly, they could be the guy you need in the most important leagues where all the money is located kind of at the end of the year. So I think it wouldn't be wise to kind of go into the season and say, I'm doing my 50 drafts. I'm never taking, you know, these, these upper end infield guys. I think the way that I like to try and think about it is um, I might not be reaching for them like ahead of ADP, but when they do come to me, I'm going to try and build that specific team in a smart way um, so that I'm leveraging, you know, their awesome potential as a great baseball player, um, plus kind of what we know about the other positions. So if I start and I get the 12th pick, that's one of the tougher, I think, spots to pick from. You have kind of missed it on all these outfielders. What are you going to do? If you start with maybe the Olsen-Freeman combo, um, you are behind the ball for sure on outfield and a little bit maybe on pitcher, um, but your infield is rock solid. So in that case, I'm not taking, I'm probably never taking more than six infielders. And I'm always going to be wanting to um, go outfielder heavy for the next couple of rounds for sure. And mix in pitchers earlier and really wait on the next infielders. Perfect. That's kind of where I was leading with that. Because um, the same thing, like when I first started, I've, I made a point, got to get all my outfielders, got to do it. And then I started doing more drafts and you, know, you talk about like diversifying your portfolio and all those type of things. And I've started finding myself if you had like an eleventh or twelfth pick, okay, Freddie Freeman's pretty darn good. Like this is fun. Like this is good. If you want to get really weird, Freeman Strider, like things like this. Like, and we'll talk pitching in a minute. But there's ways to be different. But like you said you you take those two picks. You know, wow. After it comes back to me, there's like outfielder looks rough, like really rough. But you just pound it, like you said. So it's all about kind of learning the pool. And I think it's where it's it's fun. The price points, you mentioned the dingers, 10 bucks, the bunch, $3. If people really want to go play around, uh, same draft format, just different price point, obviously different overall prize and everything. So lots of ways to, uh, go in there and do this. Um, so we talked about that. If you go outfield early, maybe six of shot fillers. If you kind of wait, maybe get a little more aggressive in outfielder. Don't go as deep on infielder. Let's talk starting pitching because this is something I remember last year when I had Tuma on, we were really talking about how there's all these really good starting pitchers and there's like a glob of really good starting pitchers. So why don't we maybe get a little more aggressive potentially on starting pitchers instead of waiting until the end? Uh, Matt, how are you attacking the starting pitching position in these drafts? Because outfield dries up if you kind of ignore them early. There's these great infielders. But, man, some of these starting pitchers pretty darn good, even though we know any pitcher can get injured at any moment. So there is that volatility. So how do you go about it? So the one thing I do want to highlight is that uh, the whole field is treating it differently this year. Also, it's not just me. Um, so if you look at last year's draft boards and compared to this year, like in the first five rounds, there was like 14 or 15 pitchers off the board. And this year it's like seven or eight. It's like half the amount of people are deciding to spend that upper uh, draft capital on pitching. Um, so Ultimately, uh, you know, based on what we saw last year, uh, I've started uh, the season drafting a little bit heavier on these pitchers, but I've, you know, sort of keep up with the field and not like be pumping these guys when I don't have to. And I, I can play with the field and say, okay, I'm going to get my outfield, infield, infield start. And I have 
a good core there. And then I can jump into the pitcher pool uh, when the, the field is too. So um, I did start out a lot more aggressive this year, like uh, trying to get like uh, a couple of guys in the first five rounds, but I've really backed off from that recently. Okay. Um, Chris, what have you noticed on this basis of pitchers? Like I said, it's been, I know you've done research on this. I've seen some of your stuff, even Tuma presented at first pitch Arizona, some stuff from the previous year and you're working on some more stuff, obviously more current stuff. So what have you seen on the kind of either early pitching, middle pitching, how pitching affects things in general for this underdog format? So last year, um, I was a big proponent of trying to shift your pitchers earlier in the draft and avoid kind of the the unknown mess at the end of drafts um, and then just take fewer of them overall. Last year, I took a lot of teams that were six pitchers uh, with maybe three in the first like 80 picks, 90 picks, 100 picks kind of thing. And those teams did very bad. Um, not great. Early pitching last year was kind of a minefield. Um, there were, I got DeGromed, um, people got Bueller, like there were a lot of names that were going early that did not pan out. Um, and I think we're seeing this year that people feel a little bit snake bit um, in terms of taking these guys early. And what some of the data has shown with pitchers in the first five rounds, um, the, the more pitchers you took, the worse your teams did last year in those first five picks, um, partly because of injuries and then also partly just because of um, the way that underdog scoring works, your best hitters are going to score so much more than your best pitchers. They just have the chance to kind of compile these massive scores um, over the course of a season. But in a single week, an elite pitcher that gets two starts is kind of the biggest hammer that you can have. So that's why pitching to me is the most interesting um, strategic part of drafting because you kind of have to thread this needle of they're not good. If you look at the projections, it just does not line up. But when it comes down to the money weeks, um, the teams that gravitate to the top, like the team that won everything last year, they had Blake Snell and Blake Snell went crazy kind of in the two week stretch in the finals. And that was, that was a winner. So I am going to be um, a little bit less aggressive than last year in terms of early pitching, but I'm going to stay, I think, a little bit ahead of the field still in terms of avoiding the back end guys. I really want to be like done with my pitching or mostly done with my pitching two thirds or three quarters of the way through the draft. Like I don't want to kind of get um, speculative too much late. I don't think that's my personal like skill set in terms of evaluating guys. Like I just, I, that's outsourced. I'll go watch you guys talk about pictures. I'll go listen to Eno's stuff. Like I'm, that's what we're, we're trusting other people for that. So I'm just going to take like fewer shots there and hope that, that, that those few shots, one of them can connect. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just go to this and we'll come back to some more of this, the, the positional stuff, but you mentioned taking shots that revol revolves around risks and pitching's a risky position to begin with. Like I said, any, any pitcher, we wouldn't be shocked if next thing you know, the guy's walking off holding his elbow. We see that way too many times in baseball and that's a whole, there's one player just gone on your roster. So, you know, are you guys um, trying to avoid, like Tris basically said he's more, I want to get him, I kind of want to do my thing, be quote unquote, hopefully safer in the risk department. Uh, Matt, are you willing to take some more shots on like, I guess some of these maybe rookies that were kind of speculating on being good this year? I know you need like quality starts is a big point. So most rookies don't go deep into the games. Um, what are you looking for, I guess, in a pitching profile? to make that someone you you want to go and draft for your team because sometimes 
boring is great in this format. Just give me six innings and, and don't get destroyed, and that just racks up consistent points. Might not have the ceiling of a strider, but he's also not going to have a floor very often. So what are you looking at when you're building your pitching? So even outside of pitching, I, I'm trying to look at uh, – this like whole draft period, not just on an individual draft basis. Uh, so the, the true answer is I'm trying to do it all <laughs> across different drafts. Uh, so uh, sometimes where you take a couple of early pitchers, uh, then you feel like you have kind of that core, and then I'm going to maybe wait till the end, and I'm going to take more speculative picks, trying to hit on people that I might not take in a build where – I wait a few rounds and start with like, um, let's say start with like a Fran Valdez, who is a quality start machine, innings machine, or a Logan Webb even. And then I'm going to build a, up uh, a couple of those sorts of pitchers along with some shots. So it, it really is about balancing it across the whole uh, roster and also balancing it across the whole, all of the drafts that I'm doing. So, you know, I'll have a few where I take maybe eight pitchers and I just wait forever uh, just to get that in my portfolio or or some I'll do an anchor. Um, but as far as what I'm looking for is it, it's innings that like that's the key uh, when I'm evaluating a guy um, is starting with the innings because that's where the strikeouts come from. That's where I mean, uh when you break up the individual scoring of the pitcher, the two like the two big chunks are innings pitched and strikeouts. Uh, so th those are the things I'm thinking about the most when I'm making my player pool. Um, like for example, like Yuri Perez uh, is a guy that uh, this year I'm just mostly out on because I'm worried how he's going to get treated. Um, uh, so like I definitely want, especially younger guys. Uh, where we see the teams manipulate the innings, even like within a start. Um, I'm, I'm usually a lot lower on those than uh, some other people. Um, but like going into this year, like uh, Brandon Fott is a good example. Like at the end, who there's a lot of risk around him. We don't really know what he was or which version, the old version, the new version, or which version of last scene is, is he going to be this year? But we know that he got a ton of innings and that there's like, there should be no restriction on him. So that's like a guy at the end I'm more willing to take a shot on just because I know that he's going to get the volume to succeed if he gets the chance. And that's one of my most rostered players. So we're going to end the show there. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. No, I love Brandon Fott for that exact reason. Um, I guess this is why people like Chris Bassett may be good. Just going to throw it out there. He throws a lot of innings. I don't know. Just going to speculate on that one. I, I, I saw your guys' tweet. Haven't got to listen yet, but I have a hunch where that one was going. And it's at least a slow hunch uh, on that one because I like him for that reason too, for anywhere in the near ballpark on that. But um, that that's that's a good point. I'm glad you made that about the pitching. It's not always the flashiest guy that's going to go light the radar gun up. That's probably actually the guy you don't want because they don't go as deep into games. You want the guys that are going to kind of – you know, get you through there and put the innings with the strikeouts up. So I like that quite a bit. Uh, you Chris, mentioned sorry. Chris, does, Chris does have a, a type, a little more riskier type. So I, you should, you should, I'd like to hear his answer. Okay, Chris, me. what do you got? What do you he got? He does have a different profile I, picture that he took. I was, um, I was getting a little bit ganged up on yesterday uh, <laughs> as we were going through our pitcher show. 
And the way we were doing it, we had like kind of the, uh, we had all the pitchers listed. And then within the sheet, it's got the, um, it just has, you know, the bat and ATC total points and points per plate appearance. And uh, every couple pitchers we'd go through, uh, we'd hit one of these guys that was like, uh, he might throw 120 innings, but those 120 innings might be good. His arm also might fall off. And it just so happened that I liked all of them. Um, and so we got like two thirds of the way through the list. And Matt's like, uh, okay, so we're at uh, Carlos Rodon and uh, Chris, you love him. And I'm like, oh, I do. Okay. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I have a type. Um, I think kind of what Matt said about you have, you're, you're playing for, you're playing for winning in the end across, you need one of your teams to win across all of the teams that you drafted. So I like mixing and matching these kind of slightly riskier guys um, and then pairing them with, you know, the Bassets, the Greys, the, the the kind of the Montgomery's, the Flory guys um, as well, because I do like, um, you know, having the out of maybe Hunter Green in uh, the end of August is out of his mind for a week and strikes out 13, you know, someone terribles um, and you kind of you back your way into that. So I do like having that out and I do take, um, I do take those guys, I think a little bit more often than the, than the field does. Well, a couple of things on that, like, and it makes sense because the Hunter Green thing, he's got that ceiling. I know we kind of talked about in the Dinger show with Zawinski, similar process, but now we're talking uh, the, the pitcher. You don't have to take his bad starts if you have three other good pitchers. But his premium starts, you can get. And we know Hunter Green, he's got 13K, six shutting upside a lot. Like, that's an option. At least half yep. his game is not in Great American Small Park. It goes a long ways. And what, so that's a great example. The second thing I was going to mention is you mentioned, um, like, the kind of the Rodon volatility types with the floor. And I, I have a lot of floor guys with a few of them. But you mentioned Blake Snell earlier. Blake Snell fits that profile completely. Like, he's, he could walk the farm and pitch four innings. Or what we saw happen happened, and that led to championships. So I guess you, if you go too boring, you you cap your ceiling in theory, and you know you want to kind of be at least to totally correct me if I'm wrong here. You guys have done the data on this. You kind of want to be somewhat safe to have a floor to advance, but as you advance, you need the ceiling to keep advancing and win. If that makes sense in any roundabout way. So like when you're drafting. You got the mindset as I want to keep going, but you also have to have the mindset that when I keep going, I need to eventually start peaking at some point in time. So I don't know if you've seen anything on that or if we can just leave it at that if that's as simple as it is. But uh, any anything around that, Chris, that makes sense? Like, I guess the risk levels you're seeing in teams, are you seeing, um, you know, certain players we see contribute all season, but there's always a couple spike guys on every roster that, you know, they might only contribute a certain amount of the time, but that is the game-changing amounts of the time. I don't know. I might just be spitballing things out of my head here. No, I think you're totally on the right track. And, like, one of the best parts of best ball is you get the – I mean, you don't have the the choice to manage your team in the season. You just get what you have drafted, and you get the best of some of these guys um, when they might be nothing for most of the year. And then you get, you know, their best of the best. Like the Swinsky one was the perfect, was the perfect example. He had those like five weeks where he was awesome. And then a couple weeks where he was terrible. And then a bunch of middling weeks. Um, and then Stephen Kwan was the guy we contrasted him with. Stephen Kwan was always going to be like your outfield three or your outfield four. Um, he wasn't really usually going to be your outfield one or two. So those two kinds of like archetypes um, are what you have to, what you have to balance on your on each individual team and then across all of them. Um, one of the things I know that we're, we're definitely going to hit on are some of the different types of contests. And one thing that has, I think, 
been a product of these other types of contests being available this year is everyone collectively is thinking a little bit deeper about like what's your your base strategy for the main contest and then how do you want to shift that for each of these different types and then really kind of thinking about how you want to change it is also making you re-examine your initial like uh like your tenants like the things that you really hold true in that main contest if you feel a certain way in a different one maybe you need to re-examine some of those things so i think a different contest offering has really helped like develop some of the discourse about just the big contest as well 100 percent. because game theory just takes it to so many different areas to um get, get our minds working instead of just the same boring potentially boring quote unquote uh way about things hey man i want to go back to you on this one we'll kind of hit on infielders here for just a minute because there are so many of them but and so at the same time there's so many late but they're maybe not a bunch of power guys maybe they're more leadoff guys or speed or whatever it's all over the board so when you're building your, um, I guess, I will say offensive side of things, we just hit on kind of what we're looking for in pitching. What are you looking for in your hitters? I know in the end you just want points from guys that get on base, but then they got power guys, you got all these other different things. So like in the end, it's maybe just end game thoughts. What are you looking for in a player profile that uh, maybe separates them with so many guys at the end? Yeah, so well, one of the main things is actually not statistics related. It's just uh, – if they pair with another player, if they're the stacking element, um, a lot of times at the end, um, there's, there's certain guys that will make sense with the rest of the roster. Um, the, the idea of stacking is that essentially, you know, a few weeks out of the year, uh, when that team is doing well, that the actual real life baseball team is doing well as an offense, uh, you're getting additional correlation between your lineup and you're, you're getting more points as those guys score together in the actual baseball games. So that's, that's one factor in a lot of the late round infielders that I'm adding. Um, and even a few outfielders, um, apart from that, if it's like a guy on his own at the end, it's definitely someone I want that has a slugging profile, uh, with power. Um, speed doesn't, isn't really worth as much as you hope it is in this scoring format. So there I'm just looking for a guy that can have a few spike weeks throughout the year. Someone that uh, like last year, despite the injury, like Adam Duvall, like helped teams like just score a few weeks, like give them that boost uh, at the beginning of the season to really like propel them ahead so that they could just like keep up uh, the rest of the season. So even if somebody misses or is bad, like Swinsky is a good example um, or like Norlin Gorman is another example. You know, he might not have a, a great schedule some weeks based on if he's going to be hitting against lefties or not. Uh, but the weeks that he gets like a bunch of righties in a row, he has the potential to just like put up a, a monster week for you and contribute. Um, so it's, it's not someone that I need to contribute every week, but has the ability to either through stacking or through power contribute on certain weeks. Perfect. Okay. Because, yeah, there's always, like, I have my homer bias. Like, Thyro Estrada is always hanging out there. And he's fun because he can maybe hit 15 to 20 home runs if he runs, but he, he's mainly there to steal bases. Giants don't score a lot of runs. So it's like, is it really worth taking Thyro Estrada? Is that million-dollar question? And do we really want to stack the Giants? Probably not. So it's kind of one of, one of those situations there. Um, yeah, and I that that that's the perfect example of a guy I would put in with, uh, well, Jorge Soler or uh, Jung-Hoo Lee now. So if I have one of those two guys and I'm looking for another infielder at the end, uh, 
he he's going to go into those sorts of teams for me. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, I want to ask a, a couple more things before we really get into some other like different uh, uh, formats here. I want to get both your opinions on this. So I'll start with Chris on this one. Um, you mentioned if you, you know, you have 50 leagues, you have how many ever you do, there is diversification that you want to do. How much do you focus on that throughout your profile? Um, is it kind of just, you know, in the back of your head, are you making it a point to only have so much of certain people? Like, how do you go about that, Chris? Um, so this is something that, um, I've struggled with a little bit doing all these slow drafts is Mm -hmm. you don't get underdog has a good system for tracking your like player by player exposure once the draft is completed. Um, but as the draft is going, it is a little bit tough to manage kind of like, you know, who's on what team and kind of how many of each, each I have. Um, so I have a couple of homemade, things that help in certain ways i mostly focus on um the beginning of drafts like maybe the first three or five rounds i don't want to be picking the same combos over and over again so i will track kind of those on my own um and you can in the app you can name your teams um as you're going so if you're not like uh renaming things kind of if you're a if you're a slow draft fiend like myself um i will essentially when i get when a draft starts i'll change the number to like the number of the entry that i'm on and then maybe the first like three or four picks that i have just so i kind of have that in the back of my mind um but like matt said i'll use stacking as kind of the tiebreaker and a way to guide where i go um and i do have a couple of stances where i am when i start drafting in the contest i'll be taking more of my guys early on um being like okay i need jordan here i got a lot of jordan i took him you know fourth fifth sixth seventh eighth i have a bunch just kind of sprinkled all over the first round and then i got maybe halfway through those those bullpen drafts and i was like all right let's check i got oh i got a lot of jordan okay time to kind of start rebalancing things so i start heavy on the guys that i have um, strong feelings about myself and then i kind of work my way into you know finding myself to the guys that i don't i don't like as much um but in you know the way that we're playing this game you do need to have most of your bases covered so i do want to build um build some teams even with the guys that i that i don't love i just want to try and build them properly i guess so if they do hit i want to kind of that like that floor to come with them as well it's kind of like you know season long we have our guys we get early i like to diversify later in drafts so it's kind of Kind of what yeah. you're saying there, Matt. How do you go about uh, your player pool diversification? Yeah, so my my strategy changes a little bit as I as I draft these more and more each year. Uh, I definitely uh, two years ago, uh, you know, I was a lot more flat in my exposures, um, and then uh, essentially last year I started getting a little bit heavier. And this year I'm just really leaning in a lot more. Um, part of that is just because I want to have my guys and just have fun with it. It's like, there's, there's a certain That's element. That's a very valid the, answer, man. <laughs> there's a certain element of underdog after like, I don't know, just doing it for so long that you're like, you know, that the you've, you've lived through the playoff rounds enough that you know that just how much randomness goes into it. So at a certain point, it's like, well, I just want to cheer for my guys throughout the season. So let me be heavy on a couple of guys. I want to really cheer for, um, Additionally, there's like there's a couple of opportunities that I think present themselves at different parts of the year if you're drafting over the whole portion of the season. Um, so the the example I have for that this year is uh, uh, Shota Imanaga. 
who uh, right now the we don't really know what he's going to be. Like nobody's really too confident that the, about you know the home run rate that he had in Japan, how that's going to translate to the U.S. Uh, and so right now he's stuck at he's like stuck at a late ADP uh, behind a lot of uh, guys that I think he could eventually pass if he is good. So uh, right now he's my most drafted player. Uh, and my plan is to, uh, you know, obviously see what spring training brings and see him face hitters and either uh, he's going to go even later uh, and I'll just back off of him or he's going to start going a lot earlier uh, and I'll already be sitting with a lot of good uh, draft capital spent on him. No, that makes sense. I'm with you there. I was just looking at my most rostered, at least in the uh, this new wave of drafts, and it's either Logan Gilbert if you want pitching or it's um, it's Seiya Suzuki when it comes to hitting. So those are two guys I've kind of planted my flags on so far. Um Chris, I want to go to you here on projections because I know you do your sheets. A lot of it's based on different projections and whatnot. When if, any, if anybody's in the draft room, and like I see, you can do it online or on on the app. I think I've said it many times, and I'm not alone. The app's amazing. Like it's so easy to use that it just makes it so much easier. To, it makes you want to draft basically. But there's always a projection next to the ADP, and that's the underdogs projections. I know you like you've used the bat and steamer and a bunch of different ones. How do you utilize those projections to help you draft? Is it just more of it gives you the values you like? Is there something you see? Is there a projection system you like better? Uh, what are you using with projections for underdog? So for underdog, I think the best way to think about projections is it's like the it's the foundation um, of your kind of player take and your team building approach. Um, there are like, I, I think the two ones I have in the sheet right now, not, I think I know the two ones I have in the sheet right now are the bat. Um, so that's Derek's amazing system, um, for hitting, especially, I really do think that he is like, the most on the ball, um, for a lot of those kind of batted ball and, and the stuff that he incorporates is really great. Um, and then I have ATC, um, in there as well, because I do think the idea of having a, a system that, you know, pulls from the best qualities of all the other ones, um, has its merits. So those are kind of the two that I have in there um, currently. And those are the two that I'll probably have for the most part um, until the, the season starts. But what I like to use those for is um, they're, they're most useful when things change. So when the contest opens and ADP hasn't been like shaped by a lot of people and a lot of drafts and stuff, the projections can be kind of like your lighthouse where you're making your way towards, you know, something concrete um, in terms of, you know, we know that these systems are good and they can give you at least a starting point to put somebody in the right range. Um, they're not the be all end all. I don't just draft purely off of, you know, rank order of who has the most to the least because there's injuries, there's many things um, that can change. But I think they are like the kind of the foundation and the table stakes. Like you should just kind of understand how the scoring system works. And it's really helpful to show the types of players, like how Matt was talking about before, you know, patience and power, I think are two of the things in hitters that really pop um, with the scoring. And so now, you know, these projection systems we have don't just give you like the five by five categories. You can go grab, you know, singles, doubles, triples, homers, walks, hits, steals, caught stealing, everything. Um, so you just take that and add it up and it gives you like something to start with. Um, and it put the guy in the spot. And then we, you know, 
layer on our own opinions. Like Matt said, it's it's you know fun to have player takes and we just sit there kind of and spout the the projections and um, go from the top down. Like you you can approach it like that, but I feel like there's there's more nuance, and I think that the, the projections are your foundation, and you got to build off that yourself. Most definitely, um, I yeah hundred percent agree with that. Um, Matt, do you use any sort of projection system, or do you just do like what I do and use Chris's sheet? Uh, I do use Chris's sheet, uh, uh, but um, so for me, uh, I think it's really important to understand that uh, the the amount of the field that is using those projections also, uh, that's where it is your foundation. Like Chris said, like when I first started, I was just putting in the those because nobody was doing it like two or three years ago. Nobody was putting in projections to draft. You know, it was just drafted off of whatever. So, you know, as time has gone on and it's more smart people are jumping in the, the contest and really thinking about it more, uh, they're starting there too. So you definitely need to start there. Like it's, I don't think it's an option. Like you need to do that. I don't, I, I tend to lean towards the bat, uh, just cause I've, I've, I've come up through the Derek Cardi tree <laughs> when I first started playing DFS, <laughs> I just happened upon the bat and you know I, I used it and uh was in the, over in the rg discord and like he was freely available and uh you know so i talked to him a little bit through there and I've, I've i've just come up through that way but um the the thing i like to do more is just kind of instead of now just knowing the exact numbers i might go look like if i'm looking at two players and i want to see their points overall and their points per plate appearance. I'll do that when I'm looking at specific guys and comparing them, but really I want to have like a general sense of what different systems are saying about guys to try and understand where uh, people might be thinking wrong about players. Uh, like if they're, if there's a certain guy that's going in a certain place that doesn't make sense to me, like, having a just a general idea of what the projection systems are saying and what and then factoring in what people are saying around the industry like it's more of a overall approach and understanding like what the field is doing and why they're doing it so i can either decide that like this draft i want to go with the field on a certain things but this is where i want to shift my thinking or um, shift my thinking on a specific player that no, makes a ton of sense. That's what the beauty of projections are because, you know, smart people make projections and it gives you a good floor and you can kind of uh, speculate elsewhere and all of that. Let's get to the, the, the nitty gritty that I'm really looking forward to on this uh, stacking. Uh, you, you know, you are the stacking dingers. You are two of the people on the stacking dingers podcast. And it's just a fun conversation because I think there's obviously ways to win without stacking. You know, you just get the best players and they run hot and you do this. Uh, you know, you mentioned the DFS mindset, Matt, is you just like trained. You got to stack to win a GPP. That's what they tell you. Like you just go through it again. You don't have to, but it helps because when that team goes off, your whole team goes off. And it's just one of those kind of scenarios here. So I'm going to start with you on this one, Chris. I know you've done a lot of data on this and kind of looked into the, the last year or so, uh, maybe two years, even whatever. But um, what are you seeing with stacking? Like how... How fruitful is this for teams? How necessary is it? Is there maybe a better pockets to look at? What do you see when it comes to stacking at teams? 
So um, we came up with the name before I did the research. So it's actually all just to make the name work. Uh, I haven't told these guys yet, but I felt like it was appropriate to break it on this show. So it's, it's awesome. actually it's a little bit, little bit dicey. But no, that was one of the most fun um, ones to work through was how do you think about it? How do you kind of quantify it? And how do you interpret it? Um, and when I got through to the results, um, which were overwhelmingly positive in terms of you should be stacking more than you currently are. Um, I was a little bit like, oh, okay, nice. Like this is something that we can like really, really use and work with. Um, and so basically the way that I that went about it was looked at all the teams over the last year, uh, that were drafted, counted up the number of players that were, they were paired, um, with teammates, teammate or teammates on a draft team and totaled them. So if you had three Red Sox, three Yankees and three, um, Rays, I gave you credit for having like nine kind of stacked players total. Um, if you only had two paired, that was like a, a two kind of thing. So looked at all that and the relationship that we, that we found was basically that the more total hitters you stack, the better you do um, on a weekly basis, on a season long basis, um, for advancing out of round one, you do better, for advancing through the second round, you do better, for winning the final, you do better. Like it was kind of this force multiplier um, across your whole, your whole draft that you could use. And the interesting bit to me was that we were very, just looking at the, I'm looking at the bars right now, and we were very undecided on how to tackle this last year. Some things we're pretty, like pretty strongly convicted on. Like if you're taking total number of outfielders, it was like, I think 90% of teams took either six or seven. That was it. Like there was really no other debate. This was like very spread out. You had people taking none, you had people taking 12, like it was very different. And it was fun to find that there was like this something out there that we talk about in so many other contexts. Like it's such a part of the DFS discussion. It's such a part of the football discussion. And it really hadn't made its way into best, best ball for baseball yet. Um, and that's like one of the goals of this offseason is to bring it up as often as possible because I think it's really something you can use to help your teams. I really wish you guys didn't, but I appreciate it because like I said, I have the DFS background where – I'm just that was like my first insight going into the room. Okay, how do I stack this guy with this guy? And well, the ADP's here, and then oh, I'll just throw ADP out the window. Let's get the stacks. Let's see what we can do and, and go from there. So, Matt, I'll go to you on this one. Um, when you're building your stacks, and Chris kind of mentioned different quantities of players on rosters, what are you finding maybe that you like or what you guys have looked into some more or whatnot? Of, do you want three or four guys from a team? Do you want just one main stack and then uh, other pieces from other? teams on there do you want multiple stacks multiple teams like two stacks on a team like what are you what are your senses when you're building your rosters that you like to uh at least maybe if even if you want to just say for 2024 so far yeah so i think the most in, most one of the important things to think about when you're building a stack is the team that it, that you're actually stacking uh so if it's a, a high scoring team I'm, I'm much more comfortable going up to that for people main stack so um uh balancing that along with the draft capital you're spending on it uh is is the thing that i'm thinking about so like if you're you're, you're stacking um uh, the braves for instance you're spending a lot of early round picks on it but 
by saying that I want to spend all this draft capital on it, I'm saying that this team's going to be super good the whole year again. So maybe I want to get a little bit larger on that stack I'm throwing in, maybe getting as crazy as throwing in Orlando Arcia at the end as my last infielder. Um, but um, the the team is important. Like if I'm stacking, you, you mentioned we were talking about the Giants earlier. I don't really want more than two Giants. So um, it's really about uh, what what the draft is giving me. Uh, what what my first few picks are it's like sort of a balancing act just like you're you're trying to balance your your position distribution but i'm also you're also trying to balance uh the stacking distribution um so you really don't want to get too close-minded about it uh because that could ruin other opportunities like uh if there's a certain guy that's just falling in your room that it doesn't make any sense uh sometimes you want to get out of that stacking mindset to grab that piece um and then then you can continue your, your stack later or maybe you shift now to that other team uh so it's really about being fluid uh but generally three or four or two just like groups of three here groups of two here maybe a four there um and then doing a couple of teams on each a uh, couple of real baseball team stacks on each team that i draft okay that's kind of where i've been falling into is couple three mans maybe you know, like I, i've gotten fortunate on these latest slow drafts to get the first pick twice out of these so i got like a cunha and then somehow i came back to uh michael harris and like ozzy albies i'm like what are we doing right now this feels too good so then i come back with kellenic later so i have three outfielders now plus it's a four-man braves and i can't wait to see it fail but it's uh it, it feels real good when you're doing it i'll tell you that much but it's yeah. also fun you kind of mentioned the mixing and matching here is you the more you do these drafts you can start to see the stacks like certain teams are more outfield heavy stacks but there's other teams where you have an infield heavy stack like the brewers per se and you can kind of mix and match and now it's like a puzzle piece where you have like maybe three infielders and an outfielder here and then three outfielders and infielder here and you got two pretty strong stacks and then kind of go around i know i'm not alone in this you guys are shaking your head you're seeing these things um chris when you're like just say for 2024 for instance or with your data are you seeing any Kind of, I guess, correlations on you know these infield heavy stacks versus outfield heavy stacks type situation, or just kind of team dependency. I haven't looked into the positional stuff um, as of yet, but what I would say is that I'm just kidding. I know, I know. (laughs) I'm uh, once I once I actually maybe something ever um i'm uh, I'm gonna gonna get deep in the weeds on some of this golf stuff that's coming up i can't wait to see that man because i'm tilting justin thomas missing a cut of an elevated event right now so (laughs) yeah so that's that's another topic for another day but that's that's a place where i actually will like dig in and and do the work do the work myself um baseball is a lot of me just kind of translating the the projections of other very very smart people golf is like we're gonna get in the lab and do some stuff so we'll be back um but on this topic there's two other like stacking ish things that i that i wanted to layer on um so you guys are talking about the biggest kind of like the 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 stack size like from an mlb team how many guys do you want to take um so i found that last year most underdog teams like the the biggest stack they were taking was only two players from a team so only pairings of teammates 60 percent of teams that were drafted last year um took only two from the same mlb team as like their biggest stack size wow 
So that means that there were about 25% of teams where it was a three-man stack as the biggest and only 5% where, um, where four-man stacks were the biggest. So to me, just without looking at kind of the, um, even the, like the, the results or the success of these things, I would kind of want to just be on the end where less people are because I think we're so early still, we don't really know for sure. So I was already like, okay, let's push this maybe out, take a three man, take a four man, five, maybe a little bit aggressive, but like three or four, definitely like feel free. Then I checked how those teams did. Those teams, every time you went up, like with your stack size, if you went from two to three, three to four, those teams got better and better and better. The best one out of this like set that I found were the teams that actually stacked five guys from the same team. It's probably a bunch of Braves teams. I was to say, yeah. <laughs> but if you find the Braves, um, then you can like really hammer this thing home. So I've been trying to build teams with bigger stacks this year, uh, taking three guys from the same team, taking four from the same team and trying to like lean into that a little bit. Um, so that's kind of one other way that, that we can think about it. Just real quick, I'll ask you and then I'll go back to Matt. So if you are doing these bigger stacks, the four men, maybe even a five, now are you mainly doing just one team and then sprinkling in ancillary pieces? Or are you still trying to get a second like mini stack in there? Chris. I'll spread it out. Um, okay. The like the I'll probably hit that one team hard. Like yeah, what's it fun with Texas? Those. Texas yeah. is a fun one where you could just like mm -hmm. they got they got options kind of all over the place, and you can pick up a piece here, a piece there. Like they're kind of spread out nicely where it, it builds on itself, and then it's like oh well, what's one more ranger? Like you know, so you just kind of add and add and add, and then I probably wouldn't double down with another big team. Um, I would like you said pick up you know two Red Sox, go pick up two Royals, like that kind of thing. Um, so get your big one and then spread it out is probably like a, a reasonably aggressively balanced way to go. Uh, Matt, for the stack building we are doing is, you know, sometimes you have to be aggressive to get your pieces because they won't come back to you, a.k.a. throw ADP out the window. Um, that, that does happen. That also means knowing the pool, knowing when you can wait, when you have to go. How often do you see yourself going, okay, you know, maybe it's the way the draft started. I have this team. Not like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't walking into the room going, I have to have this team. But, okay, we started out. We got the Cubs or whoever. We got this. Now do you see yourself, you know, as the draft goes on, are you forcing the issue of I'm going to jump around a couple rounds and just start filling these stacks out? Or do you kind of just, you know, play chicken maybe with the situation? Yeah, so one of the benefits of having – the, the price point and everything in the the kind of portfolio idea is that I don't have to worry. Like, I don't feel like I'm dead if I don't get that stack on this team. Uh, so it's definitely it being fluid uh, and, and playing chicken. Uh, I will, you know, I will go around or so out of ADP to get a stack. Um, Cub, Cubs are a good example. Like um, just, just knowing when certain players go, uh, so like if you're building a team and you're looking at the outfield options in like the the third round, uh, yeah, I think the third or fourth round, and you're like, uh, I, I, I see Ian Happ a, a little bit ways down the field uh, or down down the ADP slide, and I'm, I'm comparing him to who I'm looking at now. Like um, I'll, I'll maybe think, okay, I'll go reach him now because I want to start that sack because I know uh, when the draft gets around to me, say a Suzuki is probably going to be there. But if I wait, perhaps, you know, I'm not going to get those two guys together. So that's an example of where I will reach. 
but overall, I'm not super worried that uh, the stack I start um, is is going to like be where I end. Um, and sometimes it just blows up, and then you know I, that's that lineup, and then I'll do that I'll do better on the next one. Yeah, I'm with you. I was curious. I'm starting to jump things all right before we start talking contests anything else from either one of you on stacking you want to hit like we could yeah okay chris has it so i know we could probably go forever on this topic i don't want to keep you guys all night so i've um, what else you got on this one chris uh so this is the one this is the one that we need to just hit on last with stacking um the scoring period on underdog is one week long so you get monday to sunday accumulate your points it rolls over the next week um and so on and so forth like matt talked about before the playoffs slightly different animal it's still that one week period things reset in the same pod you then play another week um so it's like two individual weeks you combine all the points or combine each total and you go on like that so we really hadn't looked into um what does weekly scoring look like because most projection systems it's all season long uh you have dfs very focused on that night slate season long very focused on the course of the season um but this is a weekly game at its core and so i wanted to look at things that changed your weekly performance last year so what i did is i took every team and turned every week of last season into a mini tournament so we counted up the points and figured out the ranking of all the teams from like one to 55,000 um, and then treated it like 25 basically years of stuff and looked at who did good and who did bad. One of the biggest changes from if you were like, this was good season long, but it was better like weekly was stacking hitters. The more hitters you stacked, the better your weekly team, your weekly score was. Uh, even better than the good season-long score you had, weekly it was even more impactful. So that was like another one that um, logically I think makes sense. We know in DFS stacking is good and very important. We know in season-long it's probably good, like over the aggregate, um, but it's less impactful just because of the, the time. Weekly is that gray area in between. And I think that like some of this shows that you can use this on a like to leverage your like weekly score and boost things. So stacking good season, better weekly. And I think that makes sense because if you take say four from a team and the team even does just like decent for the week, at least maybe two of those four guys contribute. Where if they crush for a week, you get them all. It's one of those exactly. things like the good teams rarely go ice cold for that long. Like maybe it's one week, but not a long duration. So you're still getting pieces of the pie where if you're picking one dude in baseball of all sorts, like it's not like one running back on a good offense. It's just one dude that could literally go in a two week slump and then still crush. Like Julio Rodriguez won leagues last year and probably people thought halfway through the guy was garbage for the yep. for what you paid for. So that's the kind of point I'm trying to make. Like as a standalone, whatever. But, uh, to, yeah, to your point, it makes a lot of sense We start thinking about the whole, basically, you're maximizing your potential, in theory. Of, exactly. Like, that's my dumb brain trying to spell it out right there. Um, but, again, sure. if you guys want more stacking stuff, go check out Stacking Dingers. Like, they got a bunch of it. Like I said, I could literally talk to them all day, but I know someone has a stream in about an hour, so I don't want to, like, keep this going. And I really, really want to hit on these new these new tournaments. Like, this is the the, the just awesome because I get the – I follow the – I think it's underdog – tournaments or drafts account whatever it's on twitter 
and it's like a new one will pop up and like I'll send it to Ryan or something. And we're like, dude, this looks awesome. Like this is crazy. <laughs> so we have the dinger we've pretty much been talking about. That's a season long multi-entry, so on and so forth. You have the bunt, same category, but it's more like a 20 max or whatever. Different price point, though, but same concept. All right. Let's talk about the solo shot first. This is a single entry. This is music to my ears when I play DFS. I like single entry, three maxes. Let's really get the brass tacks here. So you can't just throw a lotto ticket out there because you put 100 leagues in and it hits gold. Like, you could still do that in the solo shot. Don't get me wrong. But, you know... It even to me it evens things out. I could be crazy, so we'll start with Matt on this one because I know I know um, Chris has some really deep thoughts on this one. So we're gonna go to Matt here first. Um, what's your thoughts on the solo shot and how are you approaching it in comparison to these dingers we've been talking about? Yeah, so I think I'm thinking about it differently than you are uh, in in oh, the fact that shot. that that you're really thinking about the single entry factor of it. Okay. Uh, and I don't think that is the most important part of that contest. Uh, the most important, important part of that contest is the advancement structure compared to the dinger. So in, in the dinger, you're drafting with your pot of 12 people, and then the top two scores from that main scoring period move on. And then I think it's, uh, is, it, is it two from there? Yeah, and then it's two out of 10, and then one out of 10, and then there's a 280-person final. Whereas when you look at the solo shot, out of your pot of 10, four players are advancing out of that regular season round. And then from there, it's three out of 12, three out of 10, and then you're only up against 18 people in the final if you get there. So that, to me, is actually the most important part of that contest when you're comparing it. So in that case, uh, you're you're taking less risk because of that those elements. Um, or at least that's how I look at it. Like, uh, and I'm less focused on getting, uh, my, you know, a big stack that's going to go off at the right times. I'm I'm more focused on uh, trying to build a team that has a little bit more of a floor to get me to that four out that top four. Um, and I'm, I'm not really too worried about just having one shot at it. That's a, I didn't even notice the, yeah, there you go. I should probably read the uh, actual contest. I just got excited as a single entry thing. I'm like, this is awesome. So that makes a lot of sense. That many, well, on paper, that many teams advance each round, but in the end, not as many teams advance compared to the, the big dance. So right. that's even more and my that, wheelhouse. I, I'll take my chances against 18 guys all day compared to you know, right. hundreds of people. Uh, so that's interesting. You, you might not necessarily need that exact two-star pitcher in the in the finals when you're only up against 18 people that's, or, that's very very interesting you know. uh chris what are your thoughts on attacking the solo shot so matt hit the number number one point on my list was that the advanced structure is different and you are you're rewarded differently for advancing in this tournament than the other ones so just have that in the back of your mind um but for me the the single entry and kind of these lower lower entry tournaments that are that are available um this one being the 75 dollar single entry at the moment um i haven't drafted mine yet i'm gonna wait till i can i can get somewhere where i can draft it and then i'll i'll do it slowly pick my way through it in like maybe three and a half weeks or so um but i'm gonna come into that one with my convictions about a couple things. Um, I'm going to draft 
a structured team that's going to have probably either six or seven at every position. And that's it. I'm not going to take five. I'm not going to take eight. Those are kind of the, the two things that I believe are good. So I'm going to do that for sure. Um, I'm probably going to do a little bit of stacking, just maybe not the big one, like, like Matt talked about, but I will sprinkle twos and threes, like all the way kind of through my hitters. Um, and then I will be a little bit less cautious with ADP and I will get some of the guys that I, that I do believe in um, partly just for, this is the one shot to kind of, make your mark with this player pool in this tournament. So I'm, I'll go out with kind of the guys that I, that I do believe in and, you know, ADP, I think matters a little bit less in this shorter, smaller field, shorter time span type deal. Um, so I'll, I'll be less concerned with that. Kind of those are my, my biggies for this attacking this one. So go get your guys is what it comes down to. Go get your um, guys. Like I, so- I am. Yeah. I am waiting on to fire that too. I, I want to wait as oh close my. to the season. Yeah, I think everybody is. Yeah, I want to see get guys sign. Like, I guess these where guys signed and stuff. Like injuries will happen throughout all of spring. That is what it is. But yeah, I want to know where some of these guys are playing, especially for stacking purposes. Like Bellinger might elevate in value because he signed somewhere else. He could decrease in value if he signed somewhere. Like for what I'm trying to build, at least that's my two cents. Um, just like not off the wall questions. I was looking at it on on, on the uh, platform while you're talking. I figured maybe some of these drafts they would do fast only, but there's still a slow draft option for this one. Do you feel that there's a major edge in a thing like a single entry to do the slow so you can analyze it for eight hours compared to the fast shoot from your hips? Like you guys know the pool. You guys know what you want. That might not matter as much in a fast, but say for somebody that, uh, you know, it's maybe their first year in underdog, they fired off 20 dingers or whatever, and they're going to go into this. And they're like, we, I want to do really well, but I don't want to be caught off guard. Do you find a difference? Maybe I'll let either one of you guys can answer that as the slow draft. Uh, I don't even know what title to attach to it. I'm just going to say slow, slow draft or um, I think that's a good way to kind of invest your time into this particular contest. If you're playing the dingers and playing the bunts and kind of, you know, managing your bankroll and figuring out like, what's the best way to spend these $75. If you want to put it in the slow shot, um, I do think that, you know, if you're going to be dedicated to pay attention and make sure that you make all the picks and kind of stay on top of what's happening, um, I totally think that's a great way to kind of go about it. It lets you really think about each of these picks and churn through like, you know, what are my options? What does my team look like? Where do I go from here? So I think that's totally viable um, for this. Matt, I'll go to you with this question. Um, We see it with other tournaments, but they're usually the bigger tournaments. Like when one fills a new one comes in, say they create like three total solo shots by the time it's all said and done. How do you foresee yourself differentiating comparative, you know, the mindset of there's only one, I'm going into it doing this. Do you see yourself getting much different in the other ones or how do you kind of, how would you hypothetically play that out? Yeah. I, I don't think I would play more than one. Just okay. that that's just a, a bankroll element for myself. You know, I, uh, part of, part of the the wonders of underdog is that I know that the regular season is coming and I love the uh, dailies there too. So personally, if I'm going to, I need to, I need to control myself. I should say like, I need to plan ahead. And if I don't, I'll just keep clicking. So I can't really say that I would do more than one of those. If it looks like it's going to fill, I might jump into this one or I might decide not to. Um, But um yeah, there there also is the perfect game draft, which is a similar advancement structure with a that similar price point. Um, that 
I, I am doing a handful of those uh, as part of my bankroll plan. So I'd probably focus there more than just keep firing at the solo shot. Um, but, but I will say that uh, the slow draft, like when it comes to the, the higher price point too, it, it might be beneficial for you. Cause then you're getting like, you're getting more time on that team and enjoying it more, just having more fun. Uh, I know like as you're, as I'm firing off the $10 teams, even if I'm doing slows, I have a tendency just in my brain to spend less time on them. Cause I know I'm doing a bunch of them, even in the slow drafts. So the, I think that is a good way to do the single entry higher dollar contest as a slow, just because you can take your time and enjoy it. like, like a nice steak at a restaurant, you know, sit down and you don't wolf it down like the, the burger from McDonald's while you're driving in the car. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, any other final shot uh, comments on the solo shot before we move on to the next crazy. Okay. This one was very enticing. I know big John Legaza has messaged me about this and some other ones. This eliminator format is electric and it, it's kind of a thing we've seen in like, even season long fantasies. Football has done it for a little while where you, eliminate teams but then you know their players come in you can add and drop obviously not the case in best ball formats this is your the 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 team you went to the dance with so i'll let you start with this one chris what's your thoughts on this eliminator structure and how we go about this This is a 50 dollars entry and obviously based on the word eliminator things change a bit this is so much fun. Um, this was really the one when they were like, you know, toying around with what types of contests they wanted to do. I was like, guys, let's eliminate our eliminator. Like, this is the, we need, we need an eliminator because the weekend, week out, um, the best part of the, the best ball season is like the last week before an advancement happens or in the playoffs when you're like, oh my God, like, you know, Ronzi Contreras has two starts this week. Like, maybe he's the guy you need. Um, so you get this, you get that sensation every week here, um, which is going to be great. So the, the idea here is you don't need the maybe season long ceiling that you would in some of these other contests. Um, what you need is to not die in a single week. Um, so building up your floor and building up, I think balance and balance and balance is kind of the best way to approach this. I did some preliminary looking at um, what I am calling like survival rate among the different positions. So if you drafted seven pitchers, how many pitchers did you have on average by the end of the season to see how many kind of went away? And what I found is if you started with seven, you ended with 4.9. So right there, like just by the time you got to the end of the year, there's two pitchers, TJ, see you next year. Like you're down to five um if you're lucky so here i think that the big shift in thinking is pitcher is the position that gets hurt the most and the most severely if you get hurt as a pitcher you are more likely to be done for a longer time than as a hitter so i want to build up a little more floor with my pitchers so here i'm probably never taking less than seven and probably taking a good amount of eight pitcher teams as well and just trying to hit on some guys that feel less risky and less likely to blow me up in a single week. Um, but the main game here is going to be health, which we obviously can't predict, but we can try our best to minimize the downside by building some balance. I think at every position is like a, is a good overall way to go about this. 
Yep, the balance, but I like I like the call on the pitching because that's clutch. It's, obviously, you're not going to be able to advance eventually if you don't have enough players to pretty much get the job done, or you're throwing out not the best options at the end. Um, Matt, how are you looking at this eliminator format? Is like you guys, I know you know, Chris, we saw was excited about it. I think it's amazing. So this is, I think this is one I kind of hope they throw it multiple times throughout the year just to have some fun, throw little tournaments out there. Um, but what's your thoughts on this one, Matt? Yeah, so I played the the football version of this. That is the first time they they put out this sort of uh, guillotine style contest on underdog. So I did jump into the football one this last year, uh, and my initial thought also was, "Hey, I want to play this safe," and it it didn't it didn't work. I'll be honest, it did not work. Uh, I don't know if it was it was exactly user selection or uh, maybe just general idea is wrong. Um, and it's definitely the, the first thing people, uh, when they see the it and they see the style, they say, oh, hey, this is where I want to take Stephen Kwan. And like, I'm, I'm just, I, maybe I'm overreacting to my unsuccessful football run in this style, but uh, I think I still want to build a lot of ceiling into my teams um, because uh, I'm not trying to get, uh, you know, just thinking about how the players score each week. You know, you're, you're taking your, you're definitely still taking six or seven. Like Chris said, I'm still want to be more balanced. Um, but of those six players uh, or seven players at a position, like what, what does, you know, if I have still have seven like high slugging guys, uh, like, I want three of those guys to go off and like, is I feel like that's just as good as having a bunch of floor guys. Um, so I, I guess I'm thinking about it a little bit differently. And the other thing that I'm, you see, if you do these drafts is everybody's thinking about it this way. It, um, pitchers go earlier. Uh, Stephen Kwan goes earlier. So in, in these rooms, I think it's really smart to see what, like even more so than the dinger rooms, like to see what other people are doing and try to react based on that. So like there's certain guys that'll fall way more than they would in other, in the dinger rooms, like these, these high, the people that have uh, thought of as more fragile and their projections, like they'll fall a lot further. So like positioning yourself to be able to get some of that value, because it's going to be more extreme in these rooms. So, like just maybe being heavy on a position early and then getting the like get a bunch of outfielders early and then just taking the pitching and the infielding that falls is is another kind of idea I've I've toyed with a little bit. I think one of the things that you want to think about here is like the, the the having a dead roster spot is really hurtful. Like we know that that's bad. Like just kind of from a from a season long perspective, it's it's not. You, you want a full team when you show up to the finals here it's like i think it's magnified so one of the things to consider when you're planning out your uh next what six weeks do we have i think until the season starts on our drug yeah. um i would want to lean late with these teams i want to know kind of as much as possible about the situations and you know somebody's gonna get hurt between now and then somebody's gonna end up in a bad like you know positional split there's a trade there's all sorts of stuff that can happen so i would be leaning late or slow with these i think more information is your friend in this especially at the beginning of the year when 
We know more than we're ever going to know. And like Matt said, on an individual player basis, um, we probably overestimate how well we can tell like safe from risky. I think that's just something that we are overly confident in ourselves. Like, oh no, this guy, Stephen Kwan's safe. Like that probably true, but we're probably a little bit like too convicted of that. So I would say, don't be afraid to, you know, take the guys that are presumed risky, as long as you are building correctly around them. Like that thing about structure and foundation, I think applies here 10 times. Yeah, I think I, I really, between the, the risky part, but um, the waiting part, I agree with completely. Uh, in FBC for season long, they have the Gladiators, but they do them like in December and January. I haven't even looked back at mine yet this year <laughs> because, because last year I did three. I had Trevor Story on all three. So that was fun right out the gate. I ended up finishing like fourth place in two of them. Like they fought back because it's just a long draw. But in this format for underdog, my team probably got eliminated before I had a chance to compete in the end, which is a, a different animal. So I do like that. The more info, the better. See what more injuries come out and see where it goes from there. So, right, I'll ask you guys this, and we'll go with Matt and then Chris. Any other strategies on roster constructions, uh, just in general stuff with underdog? Could be any format you guys want to talk about, and then I'll have a couple, like, 2024, just kind of quick hitter thoughts. And uh, anything else strategy-wise, roster construction-wise, anything from you, Matt? I think the 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 thing that for new players to underdog that, that they really want to think about is – how many the drafts they're going to do. Um, so all of these things that we're talking about, stacking, jumping guys in ADP, you know, waiting on certain players, do I want this risky profile? All of that is is in the light of I'm doing a bunch of these drafts and I, I want to take advantage of these things over like multiple drafts. But if you're someone coming into it and you want to do, say, 25 drafts, I almost think you can throw all of this out the window, like just do what you want and have fun. Uh, so like, I like, it's just like, we get so deep sometimes into these discussions just cause we love it. And, you know, we're going to be doing a lot of it, but I do want to really just emphasize that, like, think about what your plan is and like stick to a plan, but also just make sure you're having fun. Number one thing in fantasy, it's supposed to be fun, people. That is the number one thing, no matter what. Uh, Chris, any other final uh, kind of roster protection strategies, anything like that? Uh, just pick the healthy guys. Yeah, whoever's going to be good and alive. Pick the good players, guys. Pick yeah. the good ones. Pick the good players. <laughs> no, I think we hit on all of the big ones that we that we kind of get the, like, the most questions about. And these other contests have opened doors to talk about other things and other ways that are really fun and unique. And I'm excited to definitely dig into these more as we kind of get closer to the season. All right, so we'll kind of go quick hitters here. Uh, for 2024, just in general, we did, a, we did like a broad scope of stuff. But um, for you, Matt, is there any interesting trends that have stood out to you that you kind of like, wow, that's kind of new, It's and maybe more so it's stuck so far this season? Yeah, the, the first thing we already kind of touched on, pitchers and, and the field uh, uh, valuing pitchers less than previous season. So I won't really talk too much about that. But uh, the other interesting thing for 2024 is that this contest has a handful more of the prospect early call-ups available in the player pool compared to last season. Um, so just due to back-end whatever stuff from underdog, basically previously it was just whoever was on the 40-man roster when the contest came out. 
that was where their player pool got generated from. Um, so this year, uh, shout out Numi, uh, our friend friend of the show and uh, our, our show, and we, we've been talking to him. I mean, we used to chop out, chop it up when he was playing, but now he works there and he's kind of uh, running some of this stuff and putting these player pools together. He like he worked behind the scenes to get us more prospects available. Um, so like the the Wyatt Langfords and the Jackson Churios who might have not even been in this contest. Uh, so that that has been interesting this year, seeing how people react to them, uh, especially having the previous two seasons where we had the the Julio uh, like rise and the and the Cor- Corbin Carroll rise of last year. Uh, so uh, it, it's been interesting seeing how people treat these players and um, like are are they assuming that and I think it's safe to say that where these guys are being drafted, everybody's assuming one of these guys is going to be the Julio of this year. So um, I I don't know. I don't know how I'm treating it yet. I'm still working out my strategy. And uh, cause like, uh, as I said, I'm, I'm, I've come up through the Cardi system. So I have a little bit less shine on flashy prospects in my head, just how I've been uh, thinking about it for a while. But um, we've definitely seen those successes and, in the last few years and now people are they're they're willing to spend draft capital on these guys yeah i'm usually scared of those young kids so i don't have a whole lot of shares of those and that could be my detriment but chris uh, anything stood out to you so far um i have a a prediction for the rest of the draft season i think where we're headed is so last year we ended very bullish on like a lot of these pitchers especially the upper end guys the mid-tier guys very pushed up the board and things kind of went yeah. So they've started out, I think, like Matt said, if you looked at where, you know, all the pitchers are this year compared to last year, it's all kind of later. I think by the time drafts finish and the season starts, we're right back to where we started. And I think pitchers are going to get pushed up. Um, so I think if you have pitchers in the next couple of weeks that you're really kind of, you have strong takes on and you think that they might become popular. Like I think that the wheels on pitcher are going to start going and it's going to build momentum and people are going to start taking these guys like maybe five, 10 picks ahead of where they go now. So that's my prediction for where we're headed. I like it. I like it. Um, any players that you seem to have a lot of shares, too many shares, you're kind of concerned you have so many shares right now. I'll start with you, Matt. Uh, I have two that uh, are very concerning to me. Uh, one is a pitcher. Uh, I said Shoto was my highest owned pitcher. It's actually my second highest owned pitcher is Seth Lugo, who just has not moved from the last round. Uh, and like we we saw we saw the inning like the the whole. I mean, he's he's not great. Like it's totally about innings. He's going to pitch in KC. They need him to cover innings. So like. Uh, a lot of times, like he's just my last pitcher on so many rosters, but it's still scary because, like, do we know if he actually is a starting pitcher or does he just get lucky last year after coming off out of the bullpen? Yeah, that's a great question. And I've stared at that name on draft boards many times in these underdog uh, rooms. So I, I know what you're talking about. What about you, Chris? 
So last year I degromed myself like way to oblivion and just ended up in a, in a bad place um, with so much. It looked so good for like three or four weeks and then yeah, the wheels fell off. Who could have seen that coming? Yeah. Um, but this year I have um, affixed myself to a couple of guys. The one that I feel good about is um, I have a lot of Riley Green and I think Matt does too. Um, he falls in a nice range for me of outfielders where I'm getting him as like my third or fourth kind of guy in. And I think the ceiling is huge. Um, and I really think that he kind of got derailed a little bit by injuries. Um, and if that hadn't happened, we might be talking about him in like a totally different part of the draft. So that's the one that I feel good about. Um, the one that scares me every time I look at it is uh 21% Mike Trout in the in the second round um and that's not that's not cheap mike trout like where he's going now like on two three turn that's like mid second mid late second like i have i have some i have some one two turn mike trout teams just because um i'm unapologetic uh mike trout believer and maybe we get the good month at the right time, but that one, that one scares me a little bit, uh, but I can't, I can't quit and I'm not going to quit. So no one try and talk me out of it between now and opening day. But uh, yeah, that one, I need a little bit of help. Yeah, it's understandable. I, I, I can, I can feel you on that one. Um, let's talk stacks just real quick. Who are uh, your most popular stacks potentially, Matt? And throw in one surprise stack. Like, you know, I've found myself occasionally finding a weird Pittsburgh stack there or stuff like that. So um, who's like your, I guess, your favorite one? Out, let's not say the Braves. And um, <laughs> and then throw in a surprise stack. Uh, so I think my, I don't know, maybe it's both the surprise and not, uh, but, but it's the Cubs. Uh, I mentioned it earlier that the Ian Happ, Seiya Suzuki, uh, and then later, Dansby Swanson, that three-man stack is probably, or even just two of those guys together is probably like, uh, again, it's not a huge stack, but that combination, just uh, where they're going makes sense for me. Uh, I think they are good where individual picks, where they're going based on who who's they're being drafted around. And I think the the combination there is, is good too. Um, and maybe even like, throwing a perspective or a like prospecting with a, a Bellinger as part of that, if he, if he goes back there or, you know, um, so that, that's one. Um, the other, maybe, maybe the surprising one that is kind of interesting is actually the angels. Um, so, and it's, so you start with trout and, and then you, you can get Taylor Ward at a really reasonable price. Uh, obviously, he, we don't know exactly. I mean, his injury last year shouldn't shouldn't affect his baseball skills. So, like, that's not a factor. Uh, I know. I think people are just a little bit too down on him. But then they have a bunch of young infielders, and so, so we didn't really get to this concept at all. But the idea of having someone on your roster that isn't drafted in every draft where you're gaining leverage on the field by having one guy that could potentially have just a few good weeks or be the guy in the playoffs and like just you're in the finals and no one has uh Zach Neto like 
he nobody's gonna pick him be or like he's drafted in like 20 15 percent of drafts so it like building building guys into stacks late like that is really interesting to me too so i i don't have a ton of it but it, it is a little bit off the wall of a stack that i don't think too many people are doing I would say I think it's safe to say you might be uh, one of the Lone Rangers on the Angels, and the, <laughs> the strategy makes sense. I get where you're coming. It's like a DFS mindset right there, 100. percent So uh, I get that. What about you, Chris? What's one of your more popular ones, and maybe a surprise one? So my, I'm just looking at the list here. My most popular one as of now is uh, Boston. Any kind of combination of Red Sox to me right now is fun. Um, I got a lot of Devers. I got a lot of um, cases. I got a. I, I got a lot of Tyler O'Neill, which doesn't feel great. Um, pressing that button every time. Yes. Very. It just feels so good. The two that I that I did not have, and when me and Matt did our like um, exposure review maybe a month or so ago, he has a lot of Trevor Story, and I want some of that. I want Trevor Story is a very nice, affordable price on underdog, and I think he's one that I'm really going to target just as like, he could be your fifth or sixth infielder. And like, if he's healthy and, and whatnot, like I think he could, he could do good things. And we just got Jaron Duran news that he's going to be the leadoff hitter. So that's another one that I need to correct. Um, if I think this team is going to hit better than expected, he is going to have to be a big part of that. So between those five guys, like that's, you know, the core of a lot of nicely priced stacks that I have. Um, and I've been mixing and matching kind of around. And you can, you can throw in Vaughn Grissom for that concept that I was talking about earlier yeah. to those Boston. Yeah. Unique that's one. Yeah. The, the guy that's not drafted. Yeah. In every draft. Sense. Uh, what's kind of a surprise one for you, Chris? Let's go find, let's scroll the list here. Um, Let's go. We'll go double down on the Riley Green. Well, I got a lot of Tigers. Um, I got some, a lot of Riley Green, a lot of Torque, um, a good bit of Kerry Carpenter as well. So between those three, I got a lot of mixing and matching there. Um, I have proud, I have zero Javi Baez, so that you can, yeah. someone else can go there and, and find someone that. else unique with that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I have. I have Mark Canna drafted, uh, and I haven't drafted Javi Baez yet. So I'm going to play around with, yeah, with some of those. Um, but that's that's a fun one. I have some late Cardinals stuff, too, um, mixing and matching some. Like Nolan Gorman was a name that got brought up before, some Brendan Donovan. Like just there's pieces around, and maybe an injury or a trade gives us some clarity. So I'm just going to take cheap shots and maybe one of them lands. The Cardinals one is interesting. The more I've thought about it recently, yeah. but your two, your Cubs and your Red Sox, those are some that like you said they fit really not easily, but they're you don't have to take it super early outside like a Devers maybe, or if you want to go Horner or something, but you can kind of fill it in with that, which is really nice. Um, I'll just give two off the wall ones that for me. I mentioned the Pirates, like a, as a Winsky Reynolds, like Brian Hayes is is fun. It's really fun, but uh, I have way too many like mini Guardians ones because they're so cheap. They're so cheap. Not sure how I feel about it, but um, Jimenez and outside of J Ram, obviously, but Naylor and just you go. It's not. It's the more I, I talk about, it, I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, all right. I have one more question for you before we get to listener questions, and this is just kind of a like I said, your thoughts in general on underdog. I'll uh, we'll start with you on this one, Matt, with the same question for both. 
How do you think the competition has changed over the years now as more people are playing baseball, more data is coming out? Uh, we know football is the monster. A lot of people play it, but a lot of kind of just novice people play it too, which kind of might even things out a little bit per se. But baseball, I feel like it was the diehards early, but you might be getting more people now. So I'll start with you, Matt. How do you think the competition has changed throughout the years? Yeah, I, I, it's simple. It's it's getting better. <laughs> like the there's like even though there was more diehards, like you said at the beginning, there wasn't as much thought put into it. Uh, so, and a lot of people are coming to it, uh, with, uh, you know, a few years ago, there wasn't a ton of best ball general, just general best ball thinking hadn't really super been developed, especially in the underdog sort of format. So just people coming over from football already have this foundation of how I'm thinking about a portfolio of lineups, how I'm thinking about stacking, uh, how I'm thinking about ADP values. So, just overall, not just like you don't even need to be smart at baseball to come in and draft well, I think, in baseball. So just overall, the field is getting better. Um, I think the biggest edge is actually right now understanding what the field is doing and trying to work against it. So like all these core principles, the foundation of projections, the foundation that, you know, we've sort of ruined for ourselves by putting out the the data and the, like the stacking concepts and how you're distributing your picks throughout the draft. Like, but then the, the next level, I think for me is like, how do I react to the field getting better and how can maybe I change what I'm doing to take advantage of what they're doing? And I, I'm not, I'm not here to say I'm like perfect or I'm like, I, I'm like, way better than anybody but that's where i'm thinking now more is just like how do i react to the field getting better for sure what about you chris what's kind of your thoughts on how the evolution of this has gone for underdog baseball it has started to sharpen up real quick um but we are still we're still so early in the like i would call like the discovery and the learning phase of how to play the game and how to win the game because in the in the end it is a it is a game you're trying to win and kind of like matt said what we have is there's like a very narrow band of us like hardcore like underdog first underdog baseball people first um and there's kind of two other groups i think that are starting to play more and it's very fun to bring these other perspectives in one of them are the underdog players that play underdog games in many other sports they do you know football they do the playoff contests um, they do they do many things on the site and they're taking those like underdog game skills and moving them to baseball the other group um, that i think that i'm definitely hearing a lot more from this year and it's very fun to have these these perspectives as well are people that have played nfbc for a long time people that played like just five by five roto or even you know points leagues for on nfbc or on other sites um, that have played fantasy baseball and now want to get in on oh ten dollar tournament with a hundred and something to first like a sounds fun and they're bringing in kind of the the how to win a baseball league um, perspective. So we have these two like groups, I think that are migrating towards this one contest. And it's really fun to see how like both sides are approaching it. For sure. I absolutely love it. And I can't wait to see where it keeps going and working with well, listening to you guys and hopefully talking with you more about this. Let's do a couple listener questions. I'll get you all out of here uh, in the chat here. Brad J WGM says, do you feel closing line ADP value is more important in the eliminator format since we re-pod every two weeks. 
either of you guys can take that one. So I think for this one, um, closing like closing line ADP is going to be determined by like how much your pick moves uh, between when you take it and the end of the contest. I think we all kind of talked about earlier how we want to be drafting this later and waiting for as much info as possible. So you actually might not get much closing line value ADP because you're waiting for that information and I'm comfortable making that trade for some certainty. True. Uh, Aaron Fantasy T-Ball on Twitter says, can a case be made for drafting the solo shot contest early and draft season question submitted by Kyle Bradish? That was tongue-in-cheek, kind of goes into what we talked about earlier, but let's maybe wait on these ones as long, a little longer and kind of get some clarity on that. Um, Ryan Bloomfield, people might know that uh, goes with me on Bubba the Bloom. He says, uh, and he loves underdogs, as I said, we talk about it a lot off air and even on air once in a while. He says, biggest strategy differences in the solo shot versus the other multi-entry contest. We hit on that, so I think we're good there. Um, very, very good stuff. And then Brad W. on Twitter says, my question for the show, how are you attacking the eliminator contest differently from the dinger? Well, we kind of hit on that as well. It's always nice when the listener questions uh, basically come already through the podcast. So pretty cool stuff there. I know I'm rushing to the end here, but you guys have stuff you have to do. And I think I'm going to join you here very shortly as well. But... Um, why don't we, uh, first off, thank you. I could talk to you guys for a long time on this stuff. Uh, this is only the second time we've all talked, and this feels like we could do this for a lot, lot longer. <laughs> but before we head out, Matt, remind everybody where they can find you and what you got going on. Yeah, so uh, as you alluded, uh, we're doing this on Friday night. We'll be we'll be rolling right into a, a draft. I think you guys are going to be joining me, and that is at the Sheep Seats. No spaces on YouTube. Uh, do some football and some other stuff there. Uh, but it usually... Most Friday nights, you'll find me there because I'm I'm a cool guy, and that's what I do with my Friday nights. Uh, but yeah, so we do drafts there, and then uh, you know I'm just on Twitter and uh, all over. If if you're in a fantasy baseball Discord, I might be lurking there too. <laughs> what about you, Chris? Let everybody know. So yeah, baseball on Twitter with three instead of an E is the um, is the easiest way to to poke around and find some find some graphs find some of my ramblings about baseball and football and golf as we get into the the summer that's going to be where i park a lot of those things um and random reality tv thoughts i found that i kind of put those out there on on the x as well for people and you know people people talk about it so yeah if you have any interest in any of those things feel free um but otherwise yeah i think we kept it very you know professional for for bench with bubba and then we're just gonna we're going you know sheep wild tonight on uh, on the sheep seats so i appreciate it but in the future you don't have to keep it professional trust me it's, just, uh, it's benched well, with bubba for a reason like it's just hanging like, it's all about hanging out like in the dugout talking about talking about whatever so uh it's all fun and games but i'll get us out of here on that thanks for joining me gentlemen truly appreciate it everybody go to underdog fantasy go play some games over there check these guys out at stacking dingers podcast and on their sub stack great stuff over there and for now, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 655. Catch you all next time.